morning, Hope Church. So good to see you in the life-giving presence of God. I want to give a special welcome to those who are tuning in online. And I want to remind you that we have a Simpsonville campus that is joining in with this family right now. Can you put your hands together and just welcome our church family from around the world? Listen, God is doing some incredible things in our fellowship. We don't take that lightly. If just a few of us are gathered in his name, he promises to be there with us. And last weekend, we had a revival night where about 600 of us gathered in his name. How many of you were here for that? Can you attest to the fact that it was a combustible environment? God did some incredible things. And here's what I realized in an environment like that. Sometimes spiritual leaders stir the people up to believe God. Other times you come hungry, really hungry to the house of God. You came really, really hungry, and God, God always meets hungry people. And then we had a leadership one day, just a tremendous time with Pastor Lee Cummings. He really imparted to us, I believe, a faith uh, for revival, and not just a move of God that just like a wind that blows in and blows through, but for God to awaken a, in us a passion for his word, to be salt and light, a city set on a hill. That's God's design for us. And I was reawakened to that last weekend, and I hope and pray that you were too. If you missed that, you can go to our website or our app or even our YouTube playlist, and you can see those messages if you missed those, as well as we've pulled together some of what we believe were Bishop Tony Miller's best messages here in the last few years. Um, if you don't know, um, Bishop Tony Miller was one of our overseers and went to be home with the Lord a few weeks ago. Tremendous apostolic voice in the body of Christ. And um, we want to go back and we want to take those words and we want to cherish those words that he imparted to us. And we want you to have those as well. So we've put together a playlist called Bishop Miller, and you can go back and listen to some of those messages. Well, today we kick off a brand new series called Fight for family. You may want to reach and grab something to take some notes. I'm really stirred. I'm excited. Every February we talk about marriage, parenting, family, and uh, we're going to take a different angle this time because of the culture in which we live. I feel kind of on assignment today to release something to you. Family is God's idea. It was the first institution that he created, and it's the foundation of which every nation and even the church is built upon. But how many of you know that the enemy is out to divide, destroy, and even redefine the family? Are you aware of that? He, he doesn't always make his announcement blatant. He'll slip in the front door or subtly come through the back door and make himself an uninvited guest at your table. And he'll begin to erode the very foundation of family. Therefore, the best thing we can do in 2021 is fight for family. It's one of God's greatest gifts that he's given to us, whether it's a biological family where you have a good mom and dad and siblings, or maybe it's a, a friendship community that you consider family where you're celebrated for just who you are. You don't have to put on any airs or wear any mask. You're just fully you, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, and you're celebrated for your uniqueness. You have a voice. Maybe it's a church family. You may be th thinking, well, Pastor Rich, I... I didn't have a great biological family. I've spent most of my life kind of lonely and haven't had the friendships that I've desired. But listen, God has gifted us a church family. If you are in Christ, if Jesus Christ is your Lord, you've been born again into a kingdom, but you've been adopted into a family. And you're now sons and daughters. And when you get planted in God's house, guess what? You get brothers and sisters. I want you to take just a second. I want you to look around at the people sitting next to you. Whether this has dawned on you or not, 
You're sitting around brothers and sisters. This is like a big old family reunion twice a week, 52 weeks of the year. Even people watching online are a part of our spiritual family. And I happen to believe that life change takes place in the context of meaningful family connections. That's why it's important that you don't just come and sit through music and sermons and leave without connecting. That's why we have a small group season that's going to be starting in just a few weeks. Next week, you'll see a brochure of all the offerings. We'll also send an email with um, Chip and Neil's group that you saw with ways to connect and sign up and ask questions to see if it's a right fit for you. And the reason why we do that is not to keep you busy. We know you have enough going on in your life, but we think it's important that you move from the crowds where you're sitting in rows to circles where you can move into smaller, more meaningful community where you can get to know other people. You can't always see everybody eye to eye when you're sitting in rows, but you can in a small group. You can call a timeout and you can raise your hand and say, I don't understand this. Can y'all pray for me? I've got a struggle. It's a place of vulnerability. Because when you lose your voice, something really important in you begins to die. So we create small groups where your voice can be heard and where you can get to know other people. God intends for family relationships to be a place of nurture, guidance, protection, and unconditional love. However, if I'm really honest, people under the sound of my voice, that wasn't your family experience. Some of you are discouraged concerning family. I don't know what your family has been like, but I, I do have some good news for you that, that your heavenly father has made provision so that everyone can experience family as he intends for them to experience it. Psalm 68, 6 says it like this, To the fatherless, he's a father. To the widow, he's a champion friend. And to the lonely, he makes them a part of a family. This is the beautiful picture of God's heart even for the lonely and the rejected. You see, the power of a healthy family lies in and grace, even the, uh, the downcast, the broken, those who are grieving, find wholeness and healing in the embrace of a family. Just this year, we've, we've lost some real strategic family members at Hope Church. Some of you've lost mothers and fathers and spouses, and we've grieved together. We've had funerals or graves, and I've watched you embrace each other. And the warmth of that embrace is not just a natural comfort or presence. There's something supernatural that happens in the context of spiritual family. I want to dispel some lies today by telling you that you matter, you're seen, you're important. Yes, we are a big church, but every joint supplies. When you're here, uh, we love to see your face. And when you're not here, you're missed. Those who tune in online week after week from other places around the world, when we don't see you checking in in the comment section, you're very missed. And we just want you to know that we're thankful to have you a part of this family. I'll perform a wedding next week for a dear family friend here in this church. And I'll say to this young couple what I say to every young couple when I stand at the altar. I'll say that marriage is a mystical union between Christ and in his church, it paints this portrait to the world of what God desires with his people. He could have chosen any illustration, but he chose the family to say, here's what I want for you. How many of you know that God is a father? He's a good father. Before he's a healer, 
before he's El Shaddai, before he's the great and almighty one that holds everything together, before he's Alpha and Omega, he's a father. If you take it all the way back, he's a family man. And he's looking for sons and daughters. And the enemy knows that. That's why he is attacking marriage and family. Are you aware that the family is under attack in this hour? Anybody else? I'm becoming more aware as days go by. We see things like divorce, gender identity confusion, gay marriage, domestic violence, child abuse. I could go on and on. But here's the deal. This isn't a new phenomenon. This isn't a new attack. As I'm going through the one-year Bible, I realized that the first murder in the Bible was between two brothers in the first family, Cain and Abel. Right? God is about pulling family together. The enemy is about redefining and dividing the family. Now listen, it's real easy to think that the fight against family is something that happens out there. External things that encroach upon the family. The rights that we may be losing. The, the, the culture that gets sown. The value system that runs against the grain. Can I tell you that the fight against family is not something from out there. It's something from in here. It's no one can take family away from you. See, in the beginning, when Adam and Eve fell into sin, Satan didn't come as a roaring lion and strip away the keys to the kingdom. He came with no arms and no legs, but with a big mouth as a snake. And he began to lie to them long enough to where they came into an agreement and they opened their hands and they gave away the keys. In the same way, the enemy is slithering into our families and assaulting us. James 4, 1 through 2. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from them. In just a few previous verses, James would say, for wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. You mean to tell me what lurks in my heart opens the door giving the enemy legal access to my family? And the answer is yes. So today I want to highlight one secret assassin, sneaky assassin that slips in and begins to destroy the family from the inside out. Are you ready for this? I want you to jot some notes down. It's the assassin of offense. O-F-F-E-N-S-E. Offense, not like a fence that you put around your house, but offense, something that comes and attacks our heart. Offense is sneaky because it shows up in seed form. And if left alone, watch this, the seed of offense will become the root of bitterness. And it will bear fruit in your life that's destructive to the family. Sometimes we develop bitter roots and we think that it just happened overnight. No, it came in seed form and you just didn't touch it for a long time. In fact, you guarded it, and you watered it, and you thought about it, and you buried it deep so that nobody else could get to it, and what happened is it developed a root system. About five years ago, we were doing a light renovation of the house, and uh, my deck wouldn't get any sunlight, so it was kind of moldy, and the reason why is because I live in like a forest. 
So through the grace of God and some friends, we took down 16 trees in my backyard, clearing some space for my dogs to run and my kids to play. I had one problem. When it rained now, I had a massive erosion issue. I mean, it was like a river flooding down to my basement. So I brought a guy in. I said, I need grass to grow. And as he walked around in my yard, he said, Rich, there's a problem. I can't get grass to grow here because you have so many roots that haven't been dealt with. And so I just thought, I'll take a Saturday, and I'll pull all the roots out of my backyard, and I'll get grass to grow. I took a whole summer trying to get roots out of that yard. I mean, blood, sweat, and tears. And I still have a dirty backyard with no grass because there are roots that I can't get to. There are roots so deep that I can't pull out. There are roots that are so broad that I can't find. The same is true. You can pull a seed off the ground with your fingers, but deep root systems of bitterness, they take the power of the Holy Spirit to drop an axe to the base of it. That's why I want to talk to you about the assassin of offense. Hebrews 12, 15 Watch over each other to make sure that no one misses the revelation of God's grace. How many of you know that we need grace in our families? It needs to be a revelation that's fresh and new all the time. And make sure that no one lives with a root of bitterness sprouting within them, which only causes trouble and poisons the hearts of many. The seed of offense becomes the root of bitterness that bears destructive fruit in the family. If you don't hear anything else I say today, know that. Jesus told his disciples in Luke 17, he said, it's inevitable that offenses will come your way. Some of you are like, thank you, Jesus. Peter said it like this, don't think that it's strange that fiery trials come your way as something weird that's happening to you. Jesus said, in this world, you're going to have trouble. Guess what? If you want some revelation, I'm going to tell you, life's going to be hard sometimes. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said it like this, it's impossible to get through this life without someone offending you or you offending someone else. Some of you were offended on the way to church this morning. Some of you watching on right line right now, you're offended uh, by a conversation that you've had this week. It's impossible, Jesus said, to live this life and not get hurt from time to time. Because where there are people, there are offenses. The word for offense that Jesus mentions in, in Luke 17 is the word scandalon. It's where we get the word scandal. Offense is a scandal. It slips in and begins to take over. And oftentimes we don't know where it came in or how to get it out. But it has this idea. It refers in the original language to the part of the trap at the end where you attach the bait. It's a snare that we step into. The enemy, when you wake up in the morning, is setting in your pathway snares for you to step into. The good news is, is that we don't have to take the bait, but it's there. You have a conversation and you feel uh, invisible, you feel overlooked, someone says a word to you and it wounds you, and you can take the bait or you can let it lie. It's up to you. Jesus said this in Matthew 24. We talked about this in the Revelation series where Jesus is leaving the Temple Mount with his disciples and he's saying, hey, you're going to have some birth pangs and they're going to deliver you into the great tribulation. But this is what Jesus said that he'll find upon the earth when he returns. Matthew 24, verse 10, he said, and then many will be offended 
That word means majority. At least 51% of the population will be offended when Jesus returns. And he said this, they will betray one another and they'll hate one another. So Jesus was saying that a seed of offense is sown, a, a root of bitterness is developed, the fruit of betrayal and hatred is produced, and then he goes on to say this, even the love of God will grow cold in our hearts. That's how serious offense is. All of us have had it. I can see right now into your mind and you're thinking, I'm not an offended person. Yes, you are. Jesus said it's impossible that many offenses wouldn't come. It's impossible. Why? Because we deal with humans, right? Anybody not human in the room? Right, that's what I thought. And because you're human, you interact with other humans and we're frail and we're flawed and we're vulnerable and hurt people hurt people. And God wants to heal us up. So how do you recognize the seed of offense before it develops into a bitter root? If you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew chapter 11. This is where we're going to spend the majority of our time together this morning. Very famous passage about a very famous man named John the Baptist. In verse 2 of Matthew 11, it says, John the Baptist, who was in prison, heard about all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? I want you to underline that word, expecting. Or should we keep looking for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. Verse 6, and he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. Your translation may say, blessed are those who are not offended at me. In this one passage, we see an incredible man, an incredible prophet with an incredible ministry at the end of his life allow the seed of offense to become the root of bitterness in his own life. If it can happen to John the Baptist, watch this, it can happen to you. And Jesus speaks to it. So I want to talk to you about the various ways that seeds of offense come into our life. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, seeds of offense come through words. Now, I grew up hearing that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. How many of you know that's a lie? Right? We took a DNA test, and that thing was a lie. Words do hurt, don't they? And they hurt for a long time. And they have ramifications that keep rippling through generations if we're not careful. I don't know if you've ever done this, but I've said some things, and in mid-sentence, I just realize, oh no, I wish I could grab that word and stuff it back into my mouth because I know it's going to hurt someone. Or maybe I forgot that I promised I wouldn't share something, and I begin to gossip, and I'm like, oh no, I know that this is destructive, and I try to stuff it back into my mouth, and it's too late. The wisest man to ever live said this in Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. That's why he would go on to say that even a fool is thought wise when he shuts his mouth. Why? Because the tongue is powerful. 
James likens the tongue to a bridle that can tame a wild animal. He says that it's a a small tool that makes great speeches. It's a small rudder that can turn a huge ship. It's a small spark that can set a forest ablaze. And let me add that the tongue can also be used to sow seeds of offense into the soil of our heart. We call them word curses. Oh, well, pastor, that's just charismatic lingo. Ask someone who's received one. The curse of words includes words spoken by others or even by yourself that are intended to inflict harm or damage, to belittle you or to wish you evil. Some of you may be thinking, well, I don't think I've ever been cursed by a word. Well, let me give you a few words and see if these identify with you. You're so clumsy. You were born to suffer. I wish we had had a girl. You always, you never, I wish you were dead. Why are you always so serious? Why are you always so emotional? See, and what happens is these come in the form of seeds and we guard those things and before long we think, you know what, no one really likes me. I read that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, but I'm an accident. Parents, when you say, oh, this is my happy accident over here, stop it in the name of Jesus. Nothing is an accident to the Lord. It's not always the word that's released that's the culprit. Sometimes it's the way we hear the word. That's why Jesus said, be careful not what you hear, be careful how you hear. Sometimes we hear things, and by the way, the enemy loves to interpret words for us if we'll let him. And they become seeds that fall into our hearts. Remember when Adam and Eve fell into sin. They were walking with God in the cool of the day. And then sin happened. And what happened? They hid from God. And God, being a good father, went looking for his children. He said, Adam, where are you? How many of you know he knew where Adam was? He said, here I am, Lord. I hid because I was naked, afraid, and I was shamed. What did the Lord say to him? Who told you you were naked? You were naked before you fell. They grabbed some fig leaves and they tried to cover themselves. But the Lord being such a gracious father, he slaughtered an animal. He shed some blood. He took the skin and he covered them. But he wanted them to know, I didn't tell you that. The enemy told you that. And they came into an agreement and they experienced shame. Proverbs 25, 11 This is what it looks like to release a word in proper form. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. That's why it's important to weight our words, to calculate our words. Husbands, that's why the Bible says that you're to wash your wife with the water of the word. That's why you're to remind her on her darkest day who she is in Christ, how beloved she is. Parents, it's important that you sow into your children their destiny, the prophetic promises of God. It's important to tell your young daughters, you're the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. If you grow up to be like your mama, some boy is going to be very blessed. There's greatness on the inside of you, son. I've never seen someone so smart and so witty. Daddy loves you. 
It's important to sow those words because in the same way, the Holy Spirit will take those words and he'll hover over those. Do you know the Bible says that your father sings and rejoices over you while you're asleep? Like a father or mother that looks over a bassinet when the child can't even lock eyes, their conscious mind's not working, your father's releasing lullabies over you. In the same way, it's important that you sow words over your children. The second way in which the seed of offense comes is through trials and difficult circumstances. See, John heard about what Jesus was doing for other people while he was in prison. While he was in prison was the filter by which he heard everything that came into his life. John's public ministry lasted a whopping 18 months. Some of you would say, man, that dude, he, he like a Roman candle, he flared off and burned out. But in 18 months, God demonstrated his great power through this man's preaching. The Sadducees, out of curiosity, came to the wilderness to hear this man set on fire preach. The Pharisees, the arrogance of the Pharisees couldn't stay away from the prophetic message of John the Baptist. On multiple occasions, John would see Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was born to prepare the way. He even said, this man, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. He identified himself with Isaiah's prophecies that said this man would prepare a way for the coming Messiah. John knew Isaiah's prophecies about Jesus more than anyone else because he was born to fulfill Isaiah's prophecies about preparing the way. Soldiers, politicians, tax collectors, the rich and the poor surrounded him. Some scholars believe that a million and a half people came to the hot wilderness for 18 months to hear this man preach about Jesus. And at the end of his life, he allowed the seed of offense to become the root of bitterness. He's the one that said with his own mouth, I must decrease and Jesus must increase. I was a voice after 400 years of silence that spoke and said, prepare the way for the Messiah. But at the end of his life, when he was about to really decrease, like lose his head in prison, he got offended. So he sent his disciples to Jesus and he said, hey, y'all ask him if he's really the Messiah or should I be looking for someone else? How many of you know that was sarcastic? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, you go back and tell John I'm doing just fine. I'm still healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers. In fact, he quoted back to John Isaiah 61 verse 1. Let me read it. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. Watch this. I can just see John in prison saying, and and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. But Jesus conveniently left out the part of Isaiah 61 that John needed. Yeah, 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 I know that you're healing the sick and raising the dead and cleansing the lepers. I know that's your job description, but I'm in prison and that's what I need you to do for me. And Jesus lifts that out and in its place, he said this, Blessed is the man who's not offended by me. If John the Baptist can get offended, how many of you know you can too? Haven't we all been there? 
See, John heard about what Jesus was doing for everybody else, but in his great time of need, his great trial, his fiery trial, Jesus wasn't doing what John thought Jesus should be doing. How many of you know that Jesus doesn't always do what you want him to? He does it better than you think he should. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. If he'd have done it your way, you'd still be stuck. He is waiting for the fullness of time to stack the odds against the enemy to be good to you. You have to learn to trust him. But the enemy wants to interpret your prison season by saying that he's doing it for everybody else. He just won't do it for you. It may not be prison, but you may be in debt. You may be in a difficult relationship. You may have a son or daughter that you've been pleading with God over, and God is breaking through for everybody else's kids and not your kids. I remember when Joanna had two miscarriages, and we were crying out to God to open her womb. The doctor said, I don't think she'll ever get pregnant. We began to fast and pray, and all of a sudden, everybody in our small group got pregnant. Every woman got pregnant. Even women that were like, oh, I wish I wasn't pregnant. Joanna wanted to just slap them. Why? Because she watched the promise skip over her and land on people. It's an opportunity to be offended, but you don't have to be. You can trust the Lord. You can hold his hand and say, I've never been this way before, but I know you know where you're going, and I'll follow you, Lord, even if you take me through the valley of the shadow of death. You take me through barren seasons. I know that you'll spring forth within me. Even if I pass through the valley of weeping, the psalm says, you will make it a place of springs that overflow inside of me. See, the enemy wants you to take the bait, and sometimes it happens through our circumstances. Number three, and finally, the third way a seed of offense can come into our lives is through unmet expectations. Unmet expectations. John sent his disciples to Jesus and said, hey, ask him if he's the one that we've been expecting. Remember when Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, on the afternoon, late afternoon of the third day, Resurrection Sunday, he left the city of Jerusalem where all of the activity was taking place, and he ended up on the road to Emmaus with two disciples, one that had a name and one that was unnamed. And Jesus showed up, and they didn't recognize who he was. And he began to walk with them, and he said this. He said, why are you guys so discouraged? And one spoke up and said, you must be the only guy in this area that doesn't know what happened. Our founder, our leader, our savior just got crucified. See, they had already left the scene. They didn't know he wasn't in the grave anymore. But to them, they were heartsick. And then they said this, after Jesus said, tell me more. They said, we had hoped that he would come and redeem us from Roman rule. We had hoped. You see, they were discouraged and heartsick because they weren't open for Jesus to do something that was unexpected. I know that's a serious note, but what about this? The trash is overflowing. The dishes are piled up in the sink. The check engine light has been on for weeks. You just haven't had time to get to it. You have a free night coming up, but you don't have any plans yet. You thought marriage would fix all of your problems, but it's just magnified it. You can't have a date night with your wife without your phone and your text messages buzzing. Expectations. 
We all carry them, don't we? And never more so than in the context of family. They can be powerful when they're used rightly. Like revival night wasn't a great night because God was in a mood to show out. God's not that spontaneous. We talk about a spontaneous move of God. No, he's a very planned God. But he always responds to the hunger of his people. You came to the house of God expecting God to move, and guess what? God met you where your faith is. But when expectations go wrong, dysfunction breaks out in our families, doesn't it? Unmet expectations. Someone told me this years ago, and it made so much sense. If this is reality and your expectations are here, do you know what the gap is called? Disappointment. And some of us have taken such great free falls that we've crashed into reality and we're offended because of unmet expectations. Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? When unrealistic expectations lead to unmet expectations, Offense creeps into our hearts. So how do you get free? I've told you three ways that it can come in. Sneak in, sit in as an uninvited guest at your table and wreak havoc on your family. Well, there's a way to get free. And it's very simple. Number one, how do you get free from offense? Is you submit yourself to God. You submit yourself back to God. If you've drifted from him, here's the deal. Sometimes we get offended even at God and we run away from him instead of running to him. God's not intimidated and his feelings aren't hurt when you get offended at him because he knows the thing that you're begging him for will be harmful to your life. And he's a good father. That's why he's withholding the thing you're asking for because he sees a part of your life you don't see. He sees 20 years down the road for you, not just where you are. He's not a snapshot God. He's a whole story kind of God. The first thing you do to get free from offense is you resubmit yourself to God. And here's what I've learned to ask the Holy Spirit. You may want to jot this down. Holy Spirit, when did this seed come into my life? It may be a full-blown root of bitterness, but if you'll ask the Holy Spirit, when did this seed first get introduced into the soil of my heart? He'll show you because he wants you to get free. And when you do become aware of when that seed entered, it's now up to you to forgive the person that sowed the seed. You release them. What I like to do is I like to imagine that I'm standing before that person. Sometimes it was an intentional seed. Like when I was going into ministry, I had someone close to me tell me, Rich, don't go into ministry. Just serve it. If you go into ministry, you'll be broke all your life. Your kids will fall apart. You know what they say about pastor's kids. And I laughed, but that seed fell into my heart. And over the last few decades, from time to time, when I wrestle with things, I go back to that word. Oh, man, was that a prophetic word? Because I didn't allow the Lord to pluck it out of my heart. It developed some roots. And I've had to stand before that person in my mind and say, I forgive you for saying what you shouldn't have said over my life. I forgive you for sowing that seed. 
Holy Spirit, I release that person right now in the name of Jesus. I will hold them no longer accountable. They are no longer guilty of affecting my life. See, most of us think that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting someone else to die. That's not what happens. When you drink the poison, it kills you, and they have no clue what's going on inside of you. That's why we forgive. Forgiveness is not for other people. Forgiveness is for you. Forgiveness opens the cage that you've been held in. Reconciliation is a two-way street. That's what we're to pursue. But if you can't get reconciliation, you have the power to release people. Don't take them to court. Some of you have been taking people to court in your mind for the last 30 years. Some of you have been taking your ex-spouse to court and you've been holding them in contempt. Everything they've said and done. Why don't you just forgive them and release them in Jesus' name? Because here's what will happen. Freedom will come to your heart. That, that root of bitterness, the Holy Spirit will lay an ax right to the bottom of it. So you submit to God, you forgive, and then finally, number three, you bless. How do you know you've fully forgiven someone? You can bless them. I've prayed and offered forgiveness multiple times, and then I drive by someone's house that's hurt me, and I say, Lord, if you find it in your heart, I pray that boils would break out right now in Jesus' name. <laughs> Just like you did in Egypt, God, gnats overtake them right now in Jesus' name. Death angel. You know what? That's an indication that my heart is not healed. How do you know what to do? How do you know what to say? The seed that was sown over your life come in the opposite spirit. That's how you bless. If somebody said, if your parents said, I, I wish you'd have never been born, and they released a seed of death, you release life. Father, I bless my mom. I bless my dad. I bless my brother. I bless my stepdad in the name of Jesus. Whatever it is. I pray that you'd visit them. I pray that you would um, help them flourish, that you would prosper them. That's what it looks like to bless. And as you begin to do that and your heart gets more free, your blessing prayers grow. You get, you get creative in how you ask God to bless. You take delight in God blessing other people. See, God wants us free because he wants our families to thrive. I want to remind you, that things out there are not encroaching upon our families and taking us out bit by bit. It's the things that we give permission to on the inside. Satan is a legalist. You need to know that. He only has access to you where you've given him legal access. He doesn't kick your door down. He waits for you to open it. One of the greatest ways he attacks the body of Christ is through unforgiveness. You shake hands with the devil when you refuse to forgive. So here's what I'm going to ask us to do. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Some of you are thinking, well, I've already forgiven that person. If you're even having to convince yourself, you need to do it again. Forgiveness and freedom is not a destination you get to. It's a lifestyle. I've had to forgive people a million times, some daily whatever you got to do to keep that seed from bearing fruit in your life. If you're here and you just need help from the Holy Spirit to pluck up that seed of offense, or maybe for some of you, it's turned into a bitter root, and that root system is intertwined into every area of your life, and you're not even sure how to begin to pull it out. 
and you need some help from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to ask you to be bold right now and stand. I want to pray for you. You're just offended. There's a bitter root. Even those watching online, come on, let us know. We want to pray for you. Would you just open your hands just in a place of surrender? Just tell the Lord right now in your heart, God, I submit myself back to you. I come back to you. There's some in this room, you're offended at God. And instead of running to him, you've been running from him. Come on, if that's you, I need you to stand. There's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. That's where we purge our heart and say, God, I wish you would have done this like you said you would, but you didn't. His shoulders are big enough. God, we resubmit ourselves to you right now. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, just in your own heart, because it's different for every one of us. But if there was a seed of offense that came into your life and you know about it, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit right now to give you the courage to forgive that person. It looks like this. Holy Spirit, I don't want to do this, but I know that I need to. And I ask for your strength inside of me right now to release that person that I've been holding guilty. God, I release them and I let them go. I I release them to you, Lord. Well, just follow me in your heart right now. Holy Spirit, would you take the cross of Jesus Christ, that finished work, and would you place it between me and that person that wounded me? Darkness, you have lost your hold. You have lost your grip in my life. I now open myself up to receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit in a fresh new way. God, teach me how to bless that person, how to bless that family, how to bless that friend that hurt me. Give me your words, even when my mind can't come up with the right words. Holy Spirit, fill me with words to bless that I might use my tongue for good and not evil. Make me a whole, productive, fruitful family member in every place that you've planted me so that I might show the world what the kingdom of God looks like. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Now, can I invite everyone just to stand to your feet as we close this morning? Some of you are struggling right now to think, I, there's no way I can forgive. It could be. I'm not saying it is, but it could be because you've never experienced forgiveness yourself. See, salvation is all about your sins being forgiven. It's all about you receiving a pardon when you were really guilty. And the Lord says this, if he has forgiven us, then we ought to forgive other people from our heart, Jesus said. Not for, it doesn't make sense in your mind to release someone who's wounded you or abused you. But from your heart, you can do it because your life is not your own. It's been bought with a price. If you're here and you need to give your heart to Jesus, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. As soon as we close, in just a second, I want you to meet me and a few of our pastors down here. I just want to simply pray for you. I want you to open your heart and receive full pardon and forgiveness so that you might now do the supernatural work of forgiving other people. This decision may be the thing that reconciles your family. 
He's the author and perfecter and finisher of your faith. Let him do his work inside of you to the glory of God. Amen. We're going to have Inside Hope in just a few moments. I think we have quite a few people that are signed up. If you haven't and you would like to um, join our on-ramp into church life and membership, you're free to join us from 1230 to 2. We'll have child care available. Um, I love you. It's a privilege to be a part of this family with you. We have marriage one night next Friday night, 250 people. Adults is all we can take. It's signing up fast. I'd love to see you there. Have an incredible day. Go Chiefs. Enjoy the snow, and we'll see you soon. God bless you.